Welcome to episode 494 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Thursday, September 7th. I'm your host, Paul Sport, joined by Eno Saris. Eno, how's it going? It's going good. Just trying to get everything in order before I fly to New York uh, on Saturday. We're throwing, for October, we're throwing this thing called Octfest, and it's guided by voices and built to spill and Oakerville River and a bunch of good beer. So that's my Saturday. And that sounds like a blast. Day. Yeah, it should be. It should be fun. I think there are still tickets available. Oh, it's, it's fantastic. Brooklyn on Saturday. I think it's a good deal. It's $60, which is a bit high, except it's unlimited beer tasting. So $60 covers three really good bands and all the beer that day. So, yeah. yeah I mean, you, you know, yeah. people pay $50 a ticket for some bands, if there are any of those bands that you like. Unlimited beer, usually those things come with, okay, you get limited this amount only. So that sounds like a great deal. If you're going to be in New York, if you live in New York, if you're nearby and you want to hang out with Eno, seems like a good oh. idea. Eno, where could they go to uh, maybe maybe sign up? Oct.com? I, the, yeah, Octfest. Oct, OCT.co has details and then Octfest, OCTFEST.co. Okay. Is, is uh, where they can buy tickets. So. Well, there we go. We are. I mean, we're, we're coming down the stretch here. You know, it is almost done. And we got some interesting, very much to me, unexpected news today. And it's going to be our question of the day. What do you expect out of the recently called up Victor Robles for the rest of the season? What? Yeah, Victor Robles was called up about five minutes before we started this. Jesus. <laughs> I, I, I never would have thought that he was going to get called up. Not because he didn't have a great season. I just... I didn't see the contending team picking up their double A stud to come up, but roster expansion, call him up September. I don't, you know, he's a he's a huge prospect. He's arguably the top prospect in baseball now after graduations. But is he going to do anything? Like, I mean, wow. ten homers, twenty-seven stolen bases between high A and double A this year with a three hundred average, three eighty-two on Just base. Just turned twenty. Yeah, four ninety three slug, twenty years old. What, what, what do you what do you do? I I feel like you got to pick him up in every league just in case. But do you really see Victor Robles being a game changer down the uh, down the stretch here? Uh, it's funny, you know, his projections and projections are terrible usually for for minor leaguers for prospects because they include all sorts. They bake in all sorts of, you know struggles these guys and also these guys don't work out you know so like yeah. not even struggles like you know 40 to 50 percent of these guys don't even you know become major leaguers so if you bake that into a projection you're gonna regress real hard but his projections are actually pretty enticing 270 batting average 322 on base percentage 402 slugging so you know a little bit of power we know he can he can run he stole 27 bases against 10 caught stealings this year not projected to have an above average strikeout rate. So, you know, may, may have a decent batting average, uh, you know, equal ground ball fly ball mix. So he's not, you know, one of these guys hitting, you know, for power angles necessarily, but he's also not, you know, like an Ahmed Rosario who's hitting 50% ground ball. So, I mean, this looks to me like the profile of, uh, you know, it's not quite Mookie Betts because Mookie Betts had years where he's walked more than he struck out in the minor leagues. Mm-hmm. And though Robles has had nice strikeout rates, he's not quite at that level. But, you know, something like that, like a 280 
you know, 15 to 18 homer, you know, 18 to 20 stolen base guy. If, if, uh, if you got full playing time and over a full season, I mean, that's how, that's pretty exciting for, for a young guy. Victor Robles could come up, maybe maybe snatch six, seven bases. That could be huge down the stretch here. The only yeah, issue... All, Billy Hamilton hurt. And, and, and Well, I mean, you're going to talk about the depth chart? Or? Yeah, exactly. Because they got um, Howie Kendrick in left, Michael Taylor in center, and Jason Worth in right. They're all right-handers, and so is Robles. So there's no mm-hmm. obvious fit of like, okay, he's going to get this playing time here or that there. Uh, Howie Kendrick's been awesome with them. Michael Taylor, I don't think is is locked in. He's had some good fantasy work this year. He's been better than we've ever seen Michael Taylor, but I certainly don't think that he is a, a total impediment to uh, to Victor Robles getting playing time. I mean, Michael Taylor does have a 97 OPS plus this year, 14 homers, 12 stone bases. Perfectly fine season, like I said, an improvement it's over average. what we've seen, but average, that's average, dude. exactly. Do you take a shot if you're the Nats? Do you take a shot on Robles? Give him the lion's share of that playing time, and then spot Taylor. And plus, Jason Worth, 38 years old, he hasn't played much this year because of health. So there is, there, there are avenues, but we're also running out of time. So realistically, what what do you put it at for Robles? Hmm. I I don't know. Absence like absent like uh, guidance from the manager or the beat writers or. You know, having not known about this until just now, uh, I would say that I'm. I think he's likely to not play very often. I think this might be sort of a taste of the big leagues situation, where you know, double headers. They may have some double headers coming up because of weather earlier in the season. And, you know, double header. He gets the second. He gets the second one, or he gets the day one. Uh, maybe late inning. Uh, you know. You know, he's out there to run. But, you know, if if they're talking about him being the last guy on a on a roster for a playoff series because of the sort of legs guy, uh, I, I sort of doubt they'd do that. I mean, Brian Goodwin's pretty speedy. I don't know. Yeah, if and Taylor Terrence himself. Or, yeah, Taylor. Yeah, I don't. And I, I don't, don't I don't see I don't see a doubleheader coming up. I see actually Monday is an off day. So they only played six games next week for the Nats. Again, I believe you have to go pick him up on the just-in-case aspect of it. It's not like the waiver wire is is uh, ripe with pickings anyway. So go ahead and get Victor Robles, but keep your expectations very low. I really think a few stolen bases is your best bet here. Taylor uh, Taylor does profile almost as a fourth outfielder. I mean, he's very – yes, he's average, but, you know, on a first-division team – he might exactly. be the kind of guy that you want to be shuttling in your in and out of the outfield and all around. Um, and if you kind of look around, if you you count Bryce Harper as healthy, um, then you kind of have Kendrick Worth and left. Taylor all of a sudden becomes the worst offensive position, really. Exactly. And yeah, didn't even mention the fact that Harper obviously is working his way back. Once he come back comes back, it really mud- muddies it up. And again, unless they say, hey, Taylor, you're going to sit a little bit more. Robles, you're going to get some of that playing time. So, again, just keep the expectations low. Go ahead, pick them up if you're interested. But uh, let, let's move on here. Let's talk about a couple things 2018-based, and then we'll get back into prospects. We're going to finish talking about a lot of call-ups and get your thoughts on where they're at. But I wanted to uh, look ahead a little bit, as we'll obviously do a lot here in September, October, and beyond. Uh, Jose Ramirez is out of his mind right now. I watched him obliterate my Tigers. Uh, he went, kept it, stayed hot, going to Chicago, beating up the White Sox. He's just having a brilliant season. 
And when you kind of look at it in comparison to last year as well, or, or in tandem with last year, you start to see a guy with two strong, very, very strong seasons at this point. Uh, 310, 362, 511, an average of 18 homers and 18 stolen bases. Is Jose Ramirez a 2018 first rounder for you, Eno? Man, I, I just, he makes me sad because, I mean, I do have a couple shares, but going into the season, I was using these ATC projections the uh, by Ariel Cohen, and Jose Ramirez was just blowing it up. I mean, just just looked beautiful. I mean, just because he's adds those steals, had the good batting average, you know, did a lot of things. Skills. That, yeah, and did did a lot of things that people that have become undervalued right now. And so I thought, you know, you know, I need to get him, and it just didn't work out for me in the in the labor draft but in, he's had a better season than francisco lindor who's the guy i ended up with so well and that was my thing is that if you like lindor you should love ramirez because he was lindor's bat cheaper yeah. and i yeah. like both by the way so this was not like a uh you shouldn't have drafted lindor thing it was like i don't think he was both. eligible at shortstop for me so in the no, end he I was, was like you know third baseman but uh now he's got Third base eligibility. Most leagues, he also has like second and outfield. He'll definitely have second next year with 54 games there. He does lose the outfield from this year. So 88 games at third for Jose Ramirez, 54 at second. He'd had 48 oh, in the outfield no last outfield. year. So he brought outfield into this season. But going forward, it's going to be second and third base. Still. That's good, though. That's two infield positions yeah, for when you count middle and corner. And second baseman is harder than third, and yep. it also offers you flexibility where if a second baseman falls, then all of a sudden you move him back to third in a draft. Also, I was trying to compare Jose Ramirez to Mookie Betts today, and I was like, well, batting average skills equal? Yeah. This I mean, is we're, we're, season. we're counting on Betts to return to sort of 300, and I am because... I think he has that sort of ability. He makes contact, makes powerful contact. He has good legs. I definitely am. Honestly, I think, and I always preach against being careful not to use Babbitt as a luck-o-meter. I think you look at Betts' season, and the only reason it's down is is a low Babbitt at 268 that he doesn't deserve. There's nothing in his plate skills, um, his bad, bad ball profile that should have him there. You still see the 18 homers, the 23 stolen bases. If Betts falls out over the first round next year, I think it'd be uh, hilariously misguided. There's just, no draft just, I'm in where he will fall out. Just even comparing them, I think, is pretty instructive because we were so in love with Betts coming into the season. And here we have a guy who has equal batting average ability. Let's if we give bet steals, we only give it to him by one or two or three, and like it's just a handful, right? Yeah, j- just a hand. I would say maybe closer to to five six, because we've only yeah. we've only seen one twenty plus out of Ramirez. But again, it's small. Is what what your main point right. is, and I agree with you there. And then if we uh, if we call the power equal, because before the season we thought bets had more power, mm-hmm. but this season Ramirez has shown more power. If we just sort of you know smush those all together and say power is equal. That means we're giving bets basically like a four or five stolen base average, uh, stolen base um, advantage, and then we factor in second and third base. I was going to say versus the position of outfield and second third. I I see them very close. I I think the answer for me to the question is yes. I do think Jose Ramirez is a first rounder for me. Somebody and so is Mookie Betts. Yes, and I would love. 
honestly, if Betts falls, and I don't know that he's going to, so I, I this is some uh, probably rosy hypothetical here. Oh, it'd be a crazy if, turn. I, th- I was going to say, if he fell down toward the 11-12 mark and I'm picking late and I can go Betts Ramirez, you'd better believe that I would do that in a in a heartbeat. And I think in, in general, it speaks to how we have to recalibrate a little bit. I think steals are no longer worth one-to-one uh, homers to stolen bases like they have been in the past. We'll, I'm sure we'll get be all over this in the offseason, if not this week, you know. But, um, you know, I, I think it usually takes the offseason just to get all the standings. You need to get all the standings in one place to do kind of standings gains point. Analysis. I'm sure Jeff will do a, do yeah. a, a rundown that's, that's of that. That's called SGP, standing gains points analysis, where you kind of take different um, points in the standings and compare them to stats. So you can say that a stolen base is worth this many points in the standings and so on. So, uh, you know, I, I think we no longer at a point where a homer equals a stolen base. Stolen bases keep going down. Homers keep going up. So I think what we're going to have to recalibrate is that a 2020 guy is worth more than a 35 guy. Yep. You know, I, I completely agree. And in the past, I think we would have said, well, get those 30 homers and you know, a little bit of steals and everything's great. I think now we have to think, well, those guys that seem decent, but were like mid rounders before those really should be the first rounders, because if they can hit me 300 and go 2020, they have helped in every category and they've helped in categories that are difficult right now. Batting average and stolen bases are difficult. And don't, and don't forget like runs. Those guys are usually top of the order of guys who are good at runs that get ignored. And with the influx that we saw at both first base and outfield this year, particularly with the power, you can make that power up in those mid to late rounds. You, you really can first base next year is Seems to me like it's going to be akin to quarterback in fantasy football where you can wait. It's not 100% the same because I, I still think that uh, the best first basemen are, are worthy of going in the first round. Your Paul Goldschmidt's, uh, probably Anthony Rizzo, at least somewhere up there. Joey Votto. I, I, look at this. Justin Smoke, 37 homers, fourth in the big leagues. He, he's not uh, going to be a high 40- pick next year. Cody Bellinger, Joey Gallo, right after him, fifth, 37, or tied in homers, 37. Cody Bellinger, 36 homers. Logan Morrison, 36 Morrison. homers. Yeah. Mike Moustakas, 36 homers. Jay Bruce, 33 homers. Yeah, I don't even know if I'm going to take Rizzo that high just because, as you said, I think there's too many guys that can play the position and play it with power. I mean, look at these guys. Justin Smoke, fourth in home runs with 37, undrafted. Joey Gallo, afterthought, 37 homers, tied with him. Cody Bellinger, we we were here talking on our podcast about how we thought he'd be making an impact this year, but that's a heck but of an impact. we still weren't drafting him because yeah, right. we, we thought homers. June. Mike Moustakis, we said, you know, decent low-end third baseman, 36 homers. Jay Bruce, nobody was talking about Jay Bruce, 33 homers. Jonathan Scope, we said, nice little second baseman, you know, undervalued, 31 homers. Sousaphone, uh, Sousaphone, Logan Morrison, free. Sousaphone, free. Yeah. It, it, it's, Travis it's Shaw, crazy. 28 homers, free. I mean, the, the the power there, and that's why I'm with you. Like, a, a Rizzo, like, I get that he's kind of put up first-round-ish value. He'll probably go in the first round again. But outside of Goldie and, and Votto, I think I'd pass on first-round first baseman and focus on these guys that do power and speed, which does lead me into my next question. Is Charlie Blackman an early first rounder? He was pretty much a first rounder this year in most leagues, went on the turn uh, or or just before. Does he get bumped up after another great season here to where he's in that top six, seven area? 
Well, if you sort by homers, as I have for that last question, uh, the only people on the first page with double-digit homers are Charlie Blackman with 13, Paul Goldschmidt with 17. With double-digit steals. Double-digit steals, sorry. Brian Dozier with 14, Sousa Fallen with 14, and Justin Upton with 10. You know, Upton might actually end up being kind of like a uh, like a decent pick next year. That'd be I, I interesting. Think- I, I thought he was a solid pick this year, and I don't think it was just Detroit homerism. I just thought he finished strong. He's st- really steady, as as so weird steady. as it is to say it because of the the way he gets there for Justin <laughs> Upton. When you look at the bottom line, and you, you and I play mostly uh, Roto, so that's why we come at it like that. I understand the head-to-head folks probably get pretty annoyed with Justin Upton, <laughs> but as Roto guys, we're like, hey, just get there, dude. I don't really, you know, it's a set it and forget it with Justin Upton. I, I, I asked think him about that, around. actually. What's I that? asked him about that. I asked him about that. What did he say? It was kind of a funny setup because he was walking by me, and I was like, well, this isn't how I normally get people. I was like, I have one question for you. And he knows me enough. He's like, all right, I'll give you a shot. And I said, was it like, you know, you put up the same numbers every year, and you've been so steady, and every year you get your numbers and you get there. And then people talk about how you're this one of the streakiest players in the game and you have these super fire months and all this. What you know, what's it like on the inside? Like what's it what does it seem like to you? And uh he thought it was interesting enough. We had a little conversation about how he hasn't been like this his whole career. And so that, that might that's an interesting thing. It might be aging effects where, you know, there's certain things he can't adjustments he can't make as much as well as he has in the past. And that Slow in the past starts, maybe. Yeah, in the past he you avoided the bad months and had, you know, good months and great months. And we now we're just noticing it because he has more bad months. Um, but he also noticed, he also said that um, this game is really difficult and he, he's always making adjustments and sometimes, you know, they're all working and sometimes they're not. Um, but in the end he is who he is. And I think that's uh, I don't know why it works out differently for him because it, if you look at his monthly splits, there's actually a lot of variation there. There's a lot of like, you know, oh, he had a he had like almost two grounders per fly ball one month this year. <laughs> and then another month he almost hit a half a grounder per fly ball. And then another month he pulled everything. And this month he's pushing everything. And what it says to me is he's making tons of adjustments. I mean, I mean maybe he's maybe he's tinkering too much, but he's making tons of adjustments. And when things are going right, that's when he's adjusting. Like he's he's ahead of the pitchers, and he knows basically what they're trying to do to him, and he knows what he can do about it. But it, it, you know, if you think about it, in order to be good at baseball, you can't just be good at one thing. Like if you're only good at one thing, then I think you become pretty one dimensional, and then you're kind of Adam Duvall or Mike Napoli, and you have bad seasons, and you have better seasons when you figure a little thing out here or there. But if you're multi dimensional, then maybe you have good months and bad months, but at the end of the season, you're the same. Because if, you, if you're if you only good at hitting the high fastball, then they're, they're going to try to never hit you and throw you the high fastball. Yeah, right? exactly. And then if you can't hit the low fastball, then you're going to have just be like a 35% strikeout dude who runs into homers and, and just settles in and has his value. But what Justin Upton does is, I think what he does is, oh, they're trying to hit you. Oh, now I'm going to start 
you know, attacking that low pitch or yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to jump on sliders here yeah, uh, because they're trying to get me to fish for it. I'm going to shoot them to the opposite field. I'm going to blast high fastballs here. I think that's really interesting and watching Justin Upton, by the way, uh, unless you're already on his stats, which you might be, um, guess how many years he has in the league, Justin Upton. (laughs) I just clicked it, but uh, 11 seasons. Yeah. He was, he was like supposed to be the shortstop, of the Diamondbacks. He was the big hot prospect, you know, and he came in really young. I think some people forget that he was a number one overall pick. It's yeah. actually 10 full seasons. Uh, he had a little, little 43 gamer uh, at age 19, but then since age 20, he's been a full season guy and his durability, I think is underrated as well. Um, we're talking about a guy who's played over 600 plate appearances uh, every year since 2011. He will never this played year. 162. Never played 162, but only below 570 plate appearances mm-hmm. once, and that was 2008. I'm not really counting 2007. That was his, yeah. again, little little yeah, yeah. brief call. But uh, yeah, I think he gets moved up, but it's funny how we got on the tangent because we were actually talking about Charlie Blackman. So where, where oh, right. in the first round are you really taking Charlie Blackman at this point? So so they're basically there are five guys that have ten more than 10 stolen bases, and maybe you can add Shaw – Five guys on the the first page of homers, right? Yeah, Cody Bellinger. So five guys in the top 30 that have 10 stolen bases. So he he has big value. I mean, right now I put his value right there with Paul Goldschmidt. They have, you know, virtually identical numbers in certain ways. Uh, Blackman has more uh, batting average uh, and runs, but Paul Goldschmidt, if you add his runs to RBI, has a little bit of advantage and has stolen four more bases. So... You know, there's. Um, I think those guys are very interesting. I think they're definitely first rounders. The question is, how far up do you push them? Um, I mean, I think that we've seen enough Aaron Judge reg- regression that he's no longer a consensus, you know, top three pick or anything. He was never a first rounder. I'm sorry, folks. He was never a first rounder. Not even a first ne- rounder. He was never going to stay at this pace. I understand it's easy to say now, but I was saying it at the time too. Like there was no way. I, and obviously, the 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 five percent yeah, chance but- that if he did, of course, I would adjust that. But I knew he's going to come back to earth. I, I no, I'm not taking the guy who strikes out that much in the first round. I'm sorry. God, every time we have these discussions, we get so close to just mapping out the whole first round i know well, what, what we know, do well, that'll be the first episode after the season ends. yeah you got to put jose altuve in the top two or three i think he's two after after trout trout altuve trout Harper, altuve Harper's Harper, up there. goldschmidt blackman not necessarily yeah. i'm just i'm just spitting them out right now yeah two guys we just talked about bets ramirez yeah. where did the pitchers come in the first round for you because you know, we're looking at Scherzer, Sale, and Kershaw yet again. And Kluber, let's get Kluber in that group. These are the first four. Rounders. I think I think the, the at least the first three have to be first-rounders. I mean, yeah. the, the difference between the leaders and what comes after them, I think, has, has deviated. There's definitely now a cream of the crop. And the cream of the crop looks like putting up numbers like you – knew they did like they did in the past almost you know like the very cream of the crop seems like they're they're still like high twos eras you know and yeah they haven't been affected by the homers i mean they they are giving up some homers i know that was one of the things for kershaw this year was that he was actually giving up some homers but it hasn't affected their bottom line they've kept 
the pitching era performances while everyone else is is that's probably because they're amazing at strikeouts and walks and and strikeouts and walks have gone have gone you know well strikeouts at least have gone in their favor so they're just you know striking out more people than they've ever been struck out before and i think that's something you see in kershaw's line i i, I you know i haven't done it in the past i'm getting closer to uh, uh stars and scrubs approach for pitching where i might actually push a, a starter into the first round and then just take a, a long you know a long break and that was always my strategy little, before little hitters yeah but even when i said that was my strategy i still couldn't do it before like the second or third round i always wanted to have my big bat but you know there's fewer and fewer aces stud aces that you can depend on year in and year out so who sees we'll see if i if i if i adjust that way um i have been investing a little bit more in the top end of my pitching every year because you got to have at least a couple a couple studs to provide your backbone so all right well let's move on then let's get let's go deeper in the 2018 draft before we talk about these call-ups and we actually have a producer on Justin Mason. So I'm going to bring Justin on for this because uh, he he kind of goes the other way of, of our love affair with with Luis Castillo. So I want to get your thoughts first, you know, and then we'll ask Justin, uh, where where does Luis Castillo slot among starters for you uh, for 2018? As, as you kind of see it right now, he threw his final start yesterday. He's going to be shut down for innings. We saw just a great debut out of uh, out of Luis Castillo against the hell of a uh, of a schedule too. That's probably why it was three and seven. But three twelve ERA, one oh eight WHIP, nine point nine strikeouts, three point two walks, six point four hits, one point one homers. Going to be twenty five next year. Luis Castillo. What do you think? I'm settling in without looking. I'm, I'm going to... off the top. Yeah, we won't hold you to this. No, I, and this is without projections and stuff, but. You know, when I wrote about him a little while back, I said I'd like to see more two-seamers, and I'd like to see more two-seamers out of him and a little bit more command. I think we've seen actually both of those things. Now we're talking about a guy who has two legit secondary pitches, four pitches in all if you count the fastball separately, lots of velocity. I think it looks a lot like Luis Severino to me, slightly different mix where the changeup might be ahead of the slider, but still, you know, that kind of thing where you've got, you know, Possibly two elite pitches, one being the fastball and the secondary that's elite in, you know, Castillo's change and Severino's uh, slider and then a a third pitch that's average at least. Um, And so, you know, and with all that velocity, him being in the NL, I think that mitigates some of maybe if there is an advantage for Luis Severino in terms of command. But I think if you think back in, in Luis Severino's history, that hasn't always been, you know, all about command either. So. Severino is my comp, and Severino to me is solidly top 30 going into next year. Uh, he's probably top 10 finishing this year. So, um, you know, I I I don't want to push Castillo too hard, uh, but you know, top 30 easily. Um, you know, if you want to think about, you know, if you keep two pitchers, I have to think that you're going to keep you're going to keep him because, I mean, who? At the back end of of the top twenty four, um, you know when you're when you're thinking about guys that you might keep that are in the back end of the ten, the twenty four, maybe uh, Carlos Martinez, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> Chris Archer, yeah, um, Dallas Keuchel, sure, 
Not, uh, I'm not a huge fan, but I could, I could certainly, he's top 24 for sure. Right. So, I mean, I have the, it's really interesting actually to, to I just picked up Yahoo and I just, you know, got their rankings for the year and just did, you know, their current rankings for the year for starting pitchers. And if you look at the back end of the top 25, Jeff Samarsh is on it. What? And, yeah. I mean, That's I have, crazy. I have, uh, this is a quality start league, so it's probably overvaluing. Let me, let me do a different league. <clears throat> I mean, even still. That, that probably overvalued, that, that one overvalued. Uh, ESPN's player rater has him as their 26th starter. Jeff yeah, Samarsh? Yeah. And uh, he's 25th in my league on Yahoo that, that doesn't have quality starts. Well, it's a little bit, a little bit too much about Jeff Samarja here, but <laughs> let's do a Jeff Samarja breakdown here. Yeah, right. Uh, no, but no, but I think that's we, we've talked about how you have to think about, uh, you have to think about resetting yourself a little bit with with today with this with the league as it is, right? Um, because 431 is no longer a terrible ERA, and Samarja does everything else well, WHIP, and exactly. you know. So anyway, the back end, the 25 on another one. Um, uh, includes Arietta, Lance Lynn, Dallas Keuchel, Chris Archer, Jimmy Nelson, Brad Peacock sneaks in on a in a in a non-quality start league. So uh, I'm comfortable slotting Luis Castillo above most of those. I mean, Archer makes me kind of think. Well, Archer hasn't quite been the same, and he's had bad Come. years. He's going to come back this week, too, from the little health scare that he had. So we'll see if that's something that's going to be a, a problem going forward. That is definitely concerning. You you invoked the name of Luis, of Luis Severino with Castillo. And I did the same in a piece uh, talking about 10 potential keeper arms, saying that there's some 2015 Luis Severino vibes to this season from Castillo. However, that could be seen as maybe a little bit concerning after what we saw happen to Severino the following year yeah when the homers caught up to him a little bit you know the th- nothing really worked the, the base skills were the same exactly the same strike and that's wall, why swinging strike yeah. was all the same so how do you how, how does that play in after seeing the trajectory that Severino's it, taken it's sort of like when you look at major league contracts handed out to relievers and you're like why does Tommy Conley you know get thrown in in a deal when he's been a better pitcher this year than you know, ex dude, right? That has yeah, a big contract. The deal is when you get a contract, the team is rewarding consistency. So they're going to, they're going to, they have, they believe in your projections better if they have three years of you, right? Mm-hmm. So I think on some level, you have to actually demote Luis Castillo because of lack of track record, if, if there's no way, the better, better way to say it. No, that's, so, that, that's fair. If you put Luis, if you put Luis Castillo up against, Jacob deGrom, and you say, well, Jacob deGrom's been a little up, up or down. Jacob deGrom, you know, has been there for three straight years, right? Carlos Martinez has been there for three straight years. So if you if you want to put, uh, Louis, if you think Luis Castillo is of somewhat equal quality, you still put him third, right? So that's, that's the kind of tiebreaker. You know, when it comes to Dallas Keuchel, you don't get the strikeouts, 100 strikeouts this year. That's ceding a lot of strikeouts to, you know, Jacob deGrom has 211. You know? Yeah, that, that's, that's even what, with the injury, that's yeah. ceding strike, a lot of strikeouts to a lot of different pitchers who are going to go around Dallas Keuchel. Right. So Arietta, you know, maybe you think you'll have a healthier year. There's yeah. been some flashes of brilliance from Arietta, still 160 strikeouts. 
Um, he's having a good second half, but uh, I, I'm I'm looking elsewhere. He's gonna be coming. He's gonna get a deal this year. Uh, he's gonna be 32. I I don't love guys in the first year of a big deal. He's gonna be 32. He's never been super super healthy. No on Arietta for me. Um, at least in ter- I think I would take Castillo over Arietta as it stands right now, although it depends where he goes and all that. Uh, but I do want to ask Justin because he's not quite as as, as fawning over Castillo as uh, you, myself, and, and Nick Pollock are. So what is it that, that, that doesn't sell you on somebody like Castillo, Justin? I think it's a lack of track record uh, and, okay. and, and the ballpark. I, I do not love the idea of him pitching half of his games uh, in Cincinnati. Though, I mean, looking at this Nick Pollock article and just watching these gifts over and over again, I mean, you guys kind of keep invoking the name Severino. I think his secondary pitches are more advanced than Severino's were in 2015. And part of that, uh, I wanted to bring that up too, so I'm really glad you said that. Severino came up at 21, had that, that fallout year in 22, and he's just 23 right now. Castillo's already 24. So just by age... He's already a bit more advanced. I think we can trust him maybe a little bit more. Just I'm just kind of putting the Severino thing out there to, to kind of keep that, mm-hmm. not necessarily throw the cold water on, but I'm putting the bucket next to us saying, hey, there's mm-hmm. that bucket of cold water that we got to stare at right now and just be sure we don't get too crazy with Castillo. There's a, there's a couple bounce back names that we should mention. You Darvish, um, mm-hmm. especially if he signs with a National League team. I think John Lester is out of my top 25 going forward, just age. Just age and health, uh, yep. And I wrote also that his his strikeout rate is no longer as, as impressive as it once was if you consider, if you index it to league average. He's now a guy who has slightly above average strikeouts as opposed to a guy that we always thought of as having a lot of strikeouts. So Exactly. Um, and he'll you be know, 34 next year. But you I've always had uh, a lot of love for. Thank and, you. I appreciate that. And if he <laughs> oh. signs with the National League team, I could see I could see it working out. Um, Especially if it's, it's with the Dodgers. If he just if he does something, you know, if they if they have a great playoff together and, and oh, they, yeah. oh, we've got to keep him. I would I, love to have him in, in LA. I think that would be I mean, just going up against the Giants and the Padres and I think you know, I think that would be I think there's a little bit of context there that could push you ahead of Luis Castillo for me, at least when it comes to just uh twenty nine twenty eighteen value. I'm definitely um, going to take Darvish. There's I, some yeah. some high risers we have to take out of the top 25. I think you know Chris Davinsky shows up in this top 25, <laughs> and I don't. That's just like what about uh, James big, Paxton, a guy a guy we loved coming into the year who I would say panned out on the hype that uh, that that but also and many others put upon him, but also showed the the concerns that maybe his detractors had because his detractors I don't think most of them weren't saying anything about the skill. They were saying this dude just does not stay healthy and they were correct he has not stayed healthy again this year at mm-hmm. most he's going to have 23 starts that's if he comes back and and starts for a handful uh he's got 20 right now so what about james paxton versus What's that question Kessler? we had paxton versus ray and i think we both uh we both took ray even though you know as a pitcher i might like paxton better you know there's, there's paxton's health issues he's in the ray AL. keeps wooing me with, with, with start with his starts against the dodgers i think he's uh one of uh, only a handful of guys, or maybe the only guy, I can't remember what the exact stat was, to have four 10-plus strikeout games against the Dodgers in a season. And I'm just, I, I've am just i watched two of them start to finish uh, recently here, the July 6th one and, the, and then the one earlier this week, and I'm just like, 
completely falling for Ray, and I was I was just, not a huge Ray guy. He perplexes me though. I mean, if you watch, can you tell the difference between his curve and a slider? No. Yeah. Breaking ball. It's, it's a little Kluber type thing where it's like breaking ball. Just call it breaking ball. No, but like, I mean, the, between the two pitches. Like the You're saying you don't see any um, tangible difference. Like, I find it very hard when I'm watching a Robbie Ray start to tell if he just threw a curve or a slider. I think that's fair. Yeah. So that still sticks in the back of my head because he doesn't have a good changeup. He has great velocity. He's, he's found a way to get a lot of strikeouts. He's a very good pitcher. And I don't gets, mean to say he's bad, but you know, gets he strung up on him too. He shows up right behind Carlos Carrasco, and I'd rather have Carlos Carrasco. So I don't know. I've got a soft spot for Carrasco, but I don't know that that's the right pick. Wow. I, I, I think I, I, I I'm going to continue to take Carrasco, I believe. But Ray, he showed me a lot this year. I came in as a as a full non-believer on on Ray, and and he certainly showed me a lot. Well, so it'll be interesting. See what... I think this is really interesting because I think we pushed Luis Castillo at least into the top 18, to, if not 15. And it, it it's uh, I think it's a comment on how many injuries there are, how bad pitching has been this year. Um, you know, the if you if you rank the top pitchers this year by WAR, and you and you just look at the innings totals, you've got Clayton Kershaw's 147 in there, Steven Strasburg's 148. Aaron Nola's 142 is 14th in the big leagues in terms of uh, wins above replacement. So we're just getting less and less from our pitchers. And that, to me, argues that we shouldn't be spending that much on them. You know, that, you know, look at this Devensky guy. He showed up as the, like, 10th best pitcher in this league with saves and holds. Wow. You know? I mean, because he, he, he's a, the multi-inning guy. I it is interesting because it's like, for me, I'm always going to want to bet on the skills and, you know, kind of hope I get health for somebody like a Paxton or whatnot or, mm. or or get the development for a guy like Castillo in his first full season. So you, you take that you take that young guy like a Castillo uh, or any other number, you know, Nola over a guy like Lance Lynn, who you can pretty much pencil in for a buck 80 and a 350-ish ER. And he's been better than that pretty much uh, each of his last three seasons, I'm saying at least like a 350. Do you take the upside of the star guy of the, of the young guy who's a little bit unproven over a, a bland, but, but good Lance Lynn type? I think I do. I mean, I just think that there's going to be that your number two next year is going to be exactly what you described. Your number two next year is going to be Lance Lynn, Drew Pomerantz, uh, Jose Quintana, mm-hmm. uh, Patrick, I don't know if it's Patrick Corbin, but, you know, he shows up in that sort of group. He's been looking uh, good this year, too, by the way. Yeah, but just like uh, less exciting dudes mm-hmm. um, that uh, that seem to be there that you can kind of count on. I think I would, since I'm still uh, unlikely to go sale Kluber Scherzer, we'll see. But if I don't do sale Kluber Scherzer, then I'd rather pick, you know, a Severino uh, or Castillo, like a Castillo. Who else? Carlos who Martinez. For yeah, me, Castillo, least. Carlos Martinez, somebody who, you know, could take it another notch. Nola. Um, I love Nola. And then and then back that up with someone who's likely to just stick around, like a so uh, a Pomerantz, Lynn Quintana type. Like a okay, that, that that makes sense. That makes sense. So Justin, where would you take Castillo? We'll close the loop with with you saying around where you might take Castillo among pitchers. You know, I I. 
coming into this conversation, I think I was thinking he was a top 50 starting pitcher. Okay. I think you guys have moved me closer to the 40-35 range. We mm. did it, you know. We did it. But That's I, still pretty low. That means below Masahiro Tanaka next year. I don't think that's completely out of bounds, though. Yeah. And I love Castillo, but I also love Tanaka. So uh, uh, he's my AL Cy Young. Below pick. John Lester next year? I, I think you, I, th- I think maybe you guys are uh, uh, over-inflating the recency bias effect. I mean, uh, he's just been so good for this short period of time that it's it's sticking in your guys' mind. To me, there's just there isn't a long track record of this dominance even in the minor leagues necessarily i thought i was hyped on him i think he knows even more hype than me talking well, I, I think batting is consistent year to year but and more consistent year to year and aging curves are more subtle and you know and and kind of follow normal patterns pitching to me turns on a dime completely i, even I think in that season, let alone guys season. are done you know guys are done you know quickly and and early I mean, I know Gio Gonzalez is is you know having a very good season. I don't really believe in it so much, and I and I think that what John Lester is doing right now is is showing us the beginning of the end. So I mean, he's thirty three years old. You know, used to be that used to be old for ba- baseball, and uh, you know all of the uh, the velocities at its lowest. You know the the strikeouts. Uh, have take, ha, are still there, but the home runs have really taken a big leap forward. And I think home runs are also changing how we have to think about pitching because there's just there's there's guys who can suppress it and guys who can't. And yes, maybe we don't know who they are right away, but, but that's part of what makes it turn on a dime, though. Too, yeah. that's the quickest way to inflate an ERA is you know a couple mistimed pitches with a few runners on, and you got you know five runs via two homers. And if you watch the start, he didn't pitch that bad. You know, you could say, oh, there was like four bad pitches, but two of them went over the over the fence. And so he had a six inning, five run sort of game. I think we've seen a lot of that this year, just as I'm watching games like that guy did not pitch poorly. And yet that's a disastrous line. And that's so I think so interesting on that stuff. He's it, Justin's also right, because because it turns on a dime, you kind of maybe have to just zoom out a little bit. It is because Masahiro Tanaka was done. He was toast. And he's back. Verlander was done. Even earlier this year, people were saying, okay, well, last year was a fluke and and he's gone. So I think it turns on a dime even in season and it can turn again, though, too. I think that's that's maybe where I disagree with you saying it can end quickly. It can, but I think it can turn on a dime and then turn back if they make the adjustment, depending on what it is. If it's injuries and you just get ravaged by injuries, that's going to be it. You know, Matt Harvey just isn't healthy right now. And I can see him being some sort of. Uh, rebirth Scott Casimir two years down the road from now. Like I would not completely say that Matt Harvey will never be good again, but mm-hmm. you know, at this point he's a complete afterthought and yet he's going to be 29 next year. Would it, would you be that surprised if he got healthy, got himself together, maybe got out of New York and put up 180 good innings? I, I, I would not be blown away by it personally. I'm just what blows me away is how crappy the second page of starting pitchers is. Mm-hmm. I mean, God. And and I bet Chase I, Anderson, Kenta Maida are like whoa, whoa, whoa! Chase Anderson's your boyfriend though. Twenty seventh and twenty eighth best pitchers this year. So Charlie Morton looking... is like 
40th on this one. When you're looking at that second page by war, only one, two, three, four guys on the second page of war. Starting pitchers all just qualified starting pitchers. So the second 30, 31 to 60. Only four guys have a sub one homer per nine. And one of them's Andrew Trashner, who I do not believe in even one <laughs> percent. That's the most fraudulent ERA I've a, ever seen. Has a four point eight minus three point three strikeout minus walk rate. <laughs> Sweet, like yes, yeah. it, it's, it is absolutely ridiculous. All right, let's let's uh, let's bust through some of these call ups here. You know, I want to get your thoughts yeah. on them, and we'll get you guys out of here. Um, start with Francisco Mejia in in. Cleveland. He's called up to play some infield, I believe, even though he is a catching prospect. He's also going to be in the Arizona Fall League, so we're going to get a chance to see him. Any impact the rest of the season with the Indians for fantasy purposes? I I think this is going to be uh, third catcher territory. I don't think he's leapfrogging anybody. You know, in terms of what was happening, uh, you know, at catcher this year for the Indians, I do, there's a little bit of an opportunity there long-term because I think Gomes is not that great with the catcher duty type stuff. Well, I think they like him behind the dish. His bat is just so horrific though. Like how much can you take? Yeah. And And Roberto Perez is the same. So that they're almost redundant there. I mean, the guys that I was talking to Bastion, uh, what is Bastion's first name? Jordan Jordan Bastion's uh, about this in the spring. And he thought Roberto Perez would take the job from Jan Gomes this year. I thought so too, actually. And I think that says something about how they think about defensive skills. Um, but I just, I would say that I don't think that a team like the Indians is going to turn over the reins at, at such an important position. To a 22-year-old? That's right. what he'll be next year? Maybe next year, but not in the middle of... Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Not yeah. right now yeah, when he's 21 right coming up. That's completely fair. Again, because I think they trust Gomes and Perez behind the dish, but they're just an automatic out pretty much at 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 the dish. So yeah, Gomes uh, actually had a little bit of a resurgence. He's you know he's he's terrible, but not really terrible. Well, for catcher, I mean, it's about average numbers. for catcher actually. Yeah, a little C2 action there for sure. But yeah, I, I wouldn't go crazy on Mejia at all. Uh, I think it's just a little tune-up before the Arizona Fall League, and we'll have more thoughts on him after we go to the Arizona Fall Next League. Next guy, though. J.P. Crawford coming up for the yeah. uh, for the Phillies. I know a lot of people are probably wondering, like, why didn't he come up sooner? I'm sh- so I think some of it, I think most of it, was that he wasn't having a very good season, and then you add on the fact that the Phillies are no good. What's the point of bringing him up in June and, and you know, basically eating up a year of service time? He had a 756 OPS in AAA, 15 homers, five stolen bases, only five for nine. So he's not even super, super speedy or anything. But 22-year-old J.P. Crawford, is he somebody you need to pick up in leagues? I think this might be, at least when it comes to position players, this is the one guy who has a shot at starting the rest of the way and maybe even having some sort of an impact. I mean, it's It's weird to me. Yeah, it's weird to me that he's starting at third. But I guess that they see Michael Franco as the weak link, and that could be true. I still, if I'm a team, I'm still acquiring Michael Franco. If I'm the Braves, I'll call them up because I don't have a third baseman right now. I completely and, agree, by the way. We, we love Michael Franco, and he's still 24. I'm still giving him, I'm still giving him, giving him another him a pass. chance. Yeah. At least one more chance. But I, I, I know 
that it doesn't look great, but I know also that he can hit the ball hard and that uh, just a slight increase in selectivity. And it doesn't have to be walks. I'm talking about just swinging at the right pitches. Exactly. Um, Picking you your could, pitches yeah. when, when they come to you could, could be the, the difference there. Uh, but yeah, Crawford, but, I think, because he'll be shortstop eligible and playing third, yeah. I think he could a lot be somebody who has that good three weeks. Uh, yeah. The playing time will be there. So if you need a middle, uh, I think he's better at best as a middle infielder. I say I say take a shot, even though he didn't have a great year. You can just catch that lightning in a bottle for three weeks. Let's talk about a few pitchers here. Lucas Giolito's had uh, some pretty good starts, particularly his last two, looking a lot better than he did last year. Still doesn't have the stuff that he had coming up that uh, that made him kind of that number one prospect in baseball that everyone was was going crazy over a couple of years back. The industry as a whole, you know, kind of, I think everybody, fantasy, uh, MLB scouts, whatever you want to say, agreed that last year was bad and his stock came down big time. And I think that's why, you know, he was part of that trade um, with with two other guys going as opposed to just kind of being uh, a centerpiece that carried a deal. But he's starting to show some things. Do you think Giolito is somebody that, uh, that can be helpful down the stretch? I... I don't see it. I don't see it. He has improved his release point a little bit. And I think that was part of harnessing the ride on his fastball. So, you know, there could be um, his fastball is a little bit better this year in terms of ride. However, at the same time, he's he doesn't have that fastball he used to in terms of velocity. And he's averaging 93 right now, which is really like a, a half tick above average. I mean, yeah, this Giolito was mid nineties. Yeah. 90s. Giolito was fire, you know, when he first came up and in, in 2015, he averaged like 90 and that wasn't when he came up, but he, he was in the, uh, future stars game. Yeah. And where's the fantastic curve? When he came up that averaging killer? 95 the next year. Yeah. And the curve, I mean, the curve in terms of, you know what what it does it's like 80 miles an hour and it has a lot of drop that's good um but for all of that it has a it has half the average whiff rate so it's just not it's not getting the strikeouts and i, I don't i don't know why necessarily but uh it could be related to spin because he, he has poor spin he has average spin on his four seamer even though he has good ride on it so i i I know that he's doing a little better and I'm happy for him and it's been bad and there's probably a little bit more hope than I had uh, for him, but I still see sort of mid rotation ability. I don't see that kind of ace with a pop in 95 mile hour fastball with all that ride and then a, ch- a curve that drops off the table. I, I mean, it's still maybe in there a little bit, but I, it's not, uh, it's not, it's not doing it for me. Okay. Uh, let's move on to another pitcher then, Jack Flaherty for the Cardinals. Looking like he's going to get a chance to stick around. By the way, I'm not including Luke Weaver because I think he's already kind of picked up in all relevant leagues at this point. So if anyone's looking for him, a, a full-on pickup if he is still available. Oh, yeah. But uh, Flaherty's kind of I'm in the tank for Weaver. Right Actually, I have a Me whole too. Piece, piece tomorrow about uh, just to give a preview. There's a lot of stuff I think Weaver does that doesn't that doesn't show up necessarily in movement and velocity numbers. Um, we talked about uh, how he's a drop and drive guy. He's an extreme drop and drive guy. So he's releasing the ball really low. And even though his pitch doesn't look like it has ride, I think by releasing it low and pitching high, he's he's creating an angle creating a like high effect. 
Yeah, and like you know, Chris Young created a crazy angle by being really tall and pitching high. This is kind of the opposite, where people think it's going to do a certain thing and be maybe be low, and then it kind of comes up on them. So he does that. Um, it's deceptive. You know, his stuff is deceptive in that way. He throws a one seamer that doesn't show up in the in the movement and in, in the classifications. So he's doing he's chopping up his fastball, which is. To me, it's uh, he kind of gives me vibes of like a Lance Lynn if Lance Lynn had a good changeup. Ooh, that was always the thing. If Lance Lynn could have had a changeup, he might have yeah. been a superstar. And, and I know that Weaver's working on the curve, but uh, I see flashes of plus from that curve. Would so, you say that that uh, since he's working on it, that he might currently have trouble with the curve? Hey, um, okay, I'm going to leave. It's you and Justin for the rest of the way. I'm out of here. It's bad. Uh, okay. Anyway, love Weaver. Flaherty. Yeah, Flaherty. What what about what about Flaherty? Rest laser beam straight fastball. I mean, it has the most boring movement in baseball. It's that's that's kind of the problem with Giolito, who yeah. uh, was went to the same high school. I don't know if they were teammates. Oh, that's um, interesting. But they they all went to well, I all uh, also Max Fried, by the way, who's back up with uh-huh. the Braves, former first rounder. They all went to Harvard-Westlake out in L.A. Oh, okay. Well, it's not like they went to some little small place. They went to like a baseball no, no, factory. They went to okay. a power <laughs> baseball factory. I'm just, it, it's interesting yeah. that the first thing you said was laser straight fastball. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of an issue with, with Giolito. And Giolito's isn't as fast right now, so that's also a problem. But, but Clarity's is in the middle of his good velocity. I mean, right now he's 94, so. Is, is he somebody that you want? I mean, the, the command is decent. Um, and the slider is very interesting. It's a, it's an interesting pitch to look at. It's his best pitch. It is a good pitch. I think it's a good pitch. It has a lot more drop than usual and it's 84. So it's almost like having a a real tight power curve or something. I mean, it's, it's definitely uh, an interesting pitch. And I think sometimes people have trouble with it at the same time. Um, it gets put in play. I mean, it gets good whiffs, but you know, the giants like, Crawford hit like a triple off of it, uh, or a homer. Trying to no, Crawford, Crawford hit a homer salvage off his of value. His I Brandon know. Crawford hit a homer off of Jack Flaherty's best you, pitch. You couldn't have gotten a softer landing in than San Francisco. San Francisco yeah. at San Diego, and of course he gives up five runs in four innings to San Francisco. Flaherty does, but he did bounce back against the Padres despite walking four, five innings, one run, three hits, four strikeouts. So we've seen good and bad in the two starts, but those are uh, the two most favorable spots you can go. I think he'll have to. He'll have to really. I think he's like a spot start. He may. He may benefit from being in St. Louis. Because if he can use command and St. Louis to suppress home runs on the four seamer, the and the slider, you know, looks to be good enough, then you know maybe he does it by not throwing the fastball too much and being like a fifty percent fastball guy and mixing it up and having good command of his slider and stuff like that. Uh, okay. But I I don't see an ace here. I don't what see an ace the- here. I see a matchup play. I would never throw him in um, a neutral to positive uh, environment for hitters. Positive hit. Okay, that that's Jack Flaherty. What about Luis Gohara for the Braves? Had his debut, got walloped a bit by uh, by Texas. You know, Texas not having a great season, but they do still have a pretty solid offense. So that's not uh, surprising, nor something that I'm necessarily going to crush him for. Four innings, four hits, six runs, four walks, six strikeouts. So fours and sixes were wild there. Um, Luis Gohara for Atlanta. Anybody, uh, somebody that you're looking at for the rest of the year at all? I think Nick did a nice post today on him. He sure did. And I think that it's 
it's actually indicative of a thing that scouts always say is that you know his change flashes plus. And if you if you you know go through there, Nick does a great job of showing you what it could look like when it's awesome, you know, and that change did have flashes of awesome. I think the slider he's actually got good command of it. The four seam he has decent command of it. It's a rising four seam from a lefty at 98. So it's a very interesting pitch. A lot of movement on it, but he's got, you know, decent command of it. So I think, you know, if this guy wants to be, if this guy ends up as a closer, he'll be one of the best in the game. Like, and that's, 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 that's how he could be. He could be like Andrew Miller if he wanted to tomorrow. I think I, I completely agree that he, and when they brought Edwin Diaz up now, he's from the Mariners. That's why I invoking Edwin Diaz. I thought Gohara might be the next guy that they do that with, a starting pitcher prospect that they say, you know what, let's just cut the bullshit here and take you right to reliever because then we're going to have dominant – we're going to have our Batances and Miller here with Gohara and Diaz. But obviously they've traded him out to the Braves, and Braves are going to go with uh, starter for now. The Braves are going to let that change uh, flash plus and poop for a while. Yep. And and I – I think it did flash poop too. I mean there was a couple changes that were just like, what was that? So – that's, I think, part of why he gave up six runs. Uh, also, maybe just nibbling when he has the stuff to to go at him a little bit more. Um, you know, not necessarily hit hard, a little bit like walks and, and singles and stuff. So I'm very interested. I would love for him to struggle through this and, you know, start to click in his very last couple starts so that I could acquire him in the offseason. And nobody sees it. Yeah. yeah, Under the radar sort of thing. Difficult uh, and then- to pitch him right now i think yeah i think you'd have to be in an nl only uh really to to trust gohara but as long term goes if i'm intrigued and you must read nick nick's piece by the way uh, if you are at all interested even if you're not go read if it, you're you'll throwing probably be interested if you're throwing dilson denilson lamet mm-hmm. i could see throwing this guy okay the only problem is that denilson lamet is a righty who throws a lot of four seams and sliders and uh, Gohara, he's lefty, right? Yeah, he's a lefty. Yeah. That's an interesting name because um, it is that same sort of thing where it's great or off. He really goes guardrail to guardrail on his pitches, even within an at-bat, let alone oh, throughout the start. That was the best I mean, part of the next piece. Is like, here's a changeup that looks terrible. Here's the next changeup. It's amazing. The next changeup, three pitches later. Oh, my God. It was crazy. Yeah, it, 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 <laughs> I think it, one it, of them was the next pitch. So. It was just back-to-back. He's like, okay. Here we go. Uh, so, yeah, definitely read that piece on Gohara. It's uh, one of the top ones on the site right now. And if you are listening to this on Friday, it'll be the top link in Gohara's profile. All right, a couple more here. Two out in Florida, uh, Miami, excuse me. Uh, one hitter, one pitcher. Brian Anderson, the third baseman, and Dylan Peters, the pitcher, which, by the way, I think Nick's going to be writing about Dylan Peters soon. So you'll be able to read that. But what do you think about the two Marlins, Brian Anderson, Dylan Peters? Yeah, you know, Brian Anderson, he's 24 years old, has been in the minors for a fair amount of time, not really like a top prospect, but a guy who shows up on lists, kind of took a, a leap forward in, in power this year, at least by judged by isolated slugging, definitely uh, both in AA and AAA, had his highest uh, ISOs, basically, of his career. That could and both then, well come into the majors then, right? Because... We've seen guys add power when they get to the majors because of I, the circumstances of the majors, not because they necessarily change anything. Right. 
Um, and that and that could make his projections sing a little better than they do. 230, 300 on base, you know, sub 400 slugging are the, the projections. But we talked about why projections do that to to prospects. One thing that I noticed is it's not super power friendly ground ball fly ball mix in the minors. I mean, uh, in double A, he did have a one to one, but almost every other year it's been more um, ground balls than fly balls. Mm. Maybe he can be a one to one guy. Um, things a lot of things have to break right here. I, I, there was double digit swing strike rates in the high range in the high minors, so I think that he is going to strike out a fair amount 22 25% of the time at least. Selling uh, out for that power a little bit, yeah, maybe, I, or just it's natural. I mean, he's had double digit swing strike rates at every stop, so oh, okay, you know, just I don't think it's a plus hit tool. It's not a plus hit tool, I'm not sure it's a plus power tool, it's not a plus run tool. Um, the patience looks okay, but it's not plus, you know, 10% walk rates in the minors. So it's, uh, it's a lot of stuff that I'm like, I I don't know. The other guy though, is very, is very interesting. I kind of think this is, this is my call on him and this not necessarily researched. This is a little bit off the cuff, but I think Dylan Peters may have a run of success the first time through, uh, the league, and then I already know why you love him. After I already that. know why. Why? Because he throws eighty million curveballs. No, but also, also his fastball is super weird. I know, because don't get fooled just by the ninety-one miles per hour and say, "Oh, this guy sucks." First off, it's from the left side, so he gets a little bit of credit so for that. Weird. But the 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 weirdness of it, I think that's what's intriguing, Nick. To write about him as well. So uh, again, definitely look for that piece. You'll have a lot of good gifts it's, it's, to, to kind of check out. Yeah, t- tell us about that fastball from Dylan Peters. Just, I, I I need to see more of it, and it's almost hard to see when you're when you're watching it. But it's super straight horizontally, but it has a ton of sink. He must be kind of a side armor. Uh, yeah, I've cool. always seen a little bit of pitching from him, so I'm trying to think. He only has three starts, two starts, two starts, two starts. He does have a 30% strikeout rate so far, though. Dylan Peters does. Um, But it's super straight, but it has a ton of sink. Um, So. Yeah, he kind of comes at, it's probably a little bit lower than three quarters here from what I'm looking at. Not quite sidearm. I know. It's sort of, because if it was actually sidearm, um, then it would have a lot of side to side movement mm-hmm. because uh, because you, you you when you when you go sidearm you uh, you put side to side spin on it right I mean just like to kind of stick your arm out there and do a throwing motion you you're putting you, side you to can't side not right it's, right, it's almost exactly like... <laughs> so so if he was sidearm the way you get sync is you you're 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 kind of throwing it you're kind of like throwing it sideways and you get the fade and you get the sink like think of Ziegler all the way down by Ziegler he he throws a ball that barely that just is like this crazy drops off the table has a ton of fade and sink but he he's not that um you know I'm and I'm looking at his release points now and they just uh, it's uh it's really interesting to me I, I, he must he must throw like a one seamer or some he must have some funky grip on there. So my theory is just that, you know, people will not be able to see it well. And okay. So does that a pickup for the rest sure of the way that, then? 
that it's something that'll, you know, work his whole career. I mean, there's a lot of people who have funky pitches that get put in the bullpen so that you don't necessarily see him that often. And if you look at his minor league career, you know, he did have some good ground ball seasons. So it is a, it is a good sinker, but not not great strikeout rates, you know. Um, and uh, the projections say he's basically going to be a league average pitcher. But I could see him blowing up the league the last the last little bit and then being right, valued next year. That's <laughs> Dylan Peters. Um, so, that's, yeah, if that's you... my call. It's a it's a it's based on, you know, a couple of pictures, a couple of pitches I've seen the movement numbers. It's um, but, uh, you know, as a lefty, I think he does have a little bit of an advantage uh, in that regard. Uh, you see fewer lefties and then you see a lefty who has movement you've never seen before, who throws a ton of curveballs. Um, yeah, that's interesting to me. Okay, last one. Let's wrap it up. Walker Buehler. In other words, Walker Buehler is only going to be a reliever, so I don't really see any value for this year necessarily. Except maybe you NL only folks trying to get uh, maybe some cheap strikeouts um, and, and hopefully decent ratios. But I'm just curious on your thoughts on Walker Buehler going forward. Is he a big piece uh, of the rotation next year for the Dodgers in your estimation? No. No, I don't know. I I love uh, who's the guy that we love before Brock Stewart. You know, oh, yeah, I, I still like Brock Stewart. That's your you that's know? your dude. I would. He's starting tonight. I think mm-hmm. he's a great uh, pickup uh, for for uh, cash games DFS. You know, I think uh, I'm always interested in Brock Stewart. Brock Stewart was a decently regarded prospect. Brock Stewart is what the ninth pitcher on the Dodgers this year in terms of their starting rotation. <laughs> You've gotten me to watch. You've gotten me to watch Brock. Like I didn't know who the hell Brock Stewart was before you talked about him, and now I like actively check out his game logs and stuff. Oh, I wonder what, how Eno's guy Brock Stewart's doing. And he's <laughs> been a great better or worse. Player, but uh, who's had okay spot starts? And I, I I don't know. I have to like I have some sort of I have to have a feeling that like Brock Stewart would be ahead of him for like a regular rotation spot, right? Or I I don't know. Get picked next year for a rotation spot? You're saying? I don't, yeah, I mean, I don't know how this works in, in, in L.A. It seems like they're going to sign you, Darvish, and they're going to, you know, they're going to have, they're going to sign, like, Brett Anderson, and, you know, they're going to have, like, 15 pitchers, and Walker Buehler will get uh, eight, eight starts next year. Whoa, we both said eight. Okay. Yeah, that was weird. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, yeah, I, I totally see that, too. Like, I like Buehler's talent. Uh, you can read about what uh, what what Eric Longenhagen has said throughout the year, he has he has him in some daily prospect notes a couple different times this year. Plus, you can read from the Dodgers list uh, earlier this year on, on Walker Buehler. I like a lot of, of what he brings to the table, but I agree with you. I just don't know that you can feel confident that as a 23-year-old next year, he's going to come in and get 25-plus starts. So I think you got to temper expectations with any young guys on the Dodgers right now because they're doing this mix-and-match thing with uh, – with guys who they know they can get a great 130 innings out of them and they're going to space those 130 innings out. Maybe they see Buehler like, we know we can get a great 80 innings out of him. Let's space those out between the bullpen and the rotation. So I I think you got to be careful about Buehler if you're expecting some sort of starter impact next year. That's, that's kind of my take on it. Yeah. And, and now even if you want to pick him up in a starting pitcher league for holds, 
is he going to get those? I mean, there's still Brock Stewart. Ahead. I mean, yeah, I'm not sure they're going to pitch him in leverage situations yeah. where the holds are going to be plentiful. I agree with you. So uh, I just wanted to bring his name up because yeah. he is a big prospect. But as far as this year goes, I just don't see much except, again, to fill in um, uh, in an NL-only situation. Dylan uh, Peters for uh, streaming, you know, brilliance maybe. And uh, J.P. Crawford, Crawford as, your, as your long shot. And once again, as we do most Septembers, ignore most of the rest. Yep. Maybe spot Flaherty and Gohara if the situation's right and you're desperate enough. Your situation, yeah. you'll know it better than we do. But if you're you know, protecting ratios, don't don't mess with any of these guys if you're protecting ratios. Yeah, right. It's too risky. Too, Even too my risky. little favorite Dylan Peters pet. Yeah, just, just don't do it. It's way too risky. All right, you know, we got to get out of here. I want to thank Justin uh, Mason for for uh, recording the show and, and producing it for us. Uh, you know, we'll be back next week talking. Have a good one. Oh, good luck in New York as well with the, with the event. Yes, and if I see you Saturday, uh, say hello, and uh, thanks for listening.